We're continuing in our series in the book of Acts, and today's scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 9. Please give your full, undivided attention to the reading of God's holy word. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplied. Amen. At this time now, let's give our attention to the preaching of God's holy word. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Daniel. Well, it's so good to be here with all of you today to continue in our Acts series. And as we continued, I was thinking, man, a lot of us, we know this story. We know the significant figure of Saul, who was this Jewish terrorizer of Christians, and he undergoes, like we just read, this radical conversion. And maybe he's, after that, better known from his Roman name, Paul. But I love story, uh, focusing on those who are underrated, someone who's a more obscure figure. And today we're going to dive into this other figure named Barnabas. Barnabas, who's often referred to as the son of encouragement. And I think we have so much to learn from him uh, because of how discouraging life can often be at times. Right? We need encouragement because life is not always sunshine and rainbows. Sometimes it rains, and sometimes when it rains, it pours, uh, literally like this past week. But oftentimes it figuratively pours on the pressures, the burdens, the frustration. We live in a broken world with broken people, sinful, immoral people. We feel wronged and we wrong others. We get drained, discouraged, depressed, defeated. And sometimes we lose heart. We feel like giving up. I know I felt that way at times, especially uh, these last couple of years. I'm sure you have too. Maybe you feel that way now. The Bible, it's no stranger to this. And I love that it shares the honest truth of, of other figures who've experienced this. People like this very apostle Paul and Elijah the prophet, they fell into despair and wished to die. 
at times. Others like Job and Jeremiah say they wish they'd never been born. Right? No one can stand alone for too long. We all need encouragement. So what is encouragement? I want to quickly give a, a definition, a helpful definition here. It's a working definition. But it comes from this Greek word, parakaleo. And this is my working definition. To inspire courage in someone so they can be sustained in a difficult situation and move forward to achieve a goal. You know, I heard recently a helpful definition uh, from one of our pastors that the difference between teaching and encouragement, teaching tells us where to go. It tells us where our goal should be. But encouragement is what helps us to get there. Encouragement helps us to get there. You know, a silly example, my, uh, Michelle, my wife, uh, she's currently a student, and after a long day, we have a, a little bit over a one-year-old baby. You probably see her around here and there. Uh, she's super cute, but also a lot of work. And after a long day, Michelle needs to do homework. She knows she needs to do it. She knows that's something that's an important goal, but at the same time, it's hard. And so she needs encouragement. Sometimes that encouragement takes the form of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Now, this is a silly example, but I think biblical encouragement is a bit more specific with that goal. To inspire courage in someone so they can be sustained in a difficult situation and press on to follow Jesus and do God's will. To press on to follow Jesus. Right? You think of a picture of something uh, someone coming alongside to help, to cheer you on, to build you up, to strengthen you. Other English words, comfort, to exhort, to urge, to appeal. We all need this. We all will need this. And people are going to be needing this from us. And so today, three things about encouragement as we look at this figure, Barnabas. Encouragement goes a long way to see the best in others, to meet the needs of others, and to make way for others. And to tease this out, I want us to look at how Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was described in Acts 11.24. I'm sure a big reason he was such an encouragement to people is because of this, that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And so diving right in, the first point, encouragement goes a long way to see the best in others. You know, we live in a time where society is very divided. We're very suspicious of each other. A lot of us are very isolated from each other, especially on the coattails of COVID. It's hard to have faith in God. Maybe it's also hard to have faith in people. And so a lot of us, we're doing our own things. Uh, we don't really know our neighbors, don't care to. We keep to ourselves. And so it's interesting, I don't think at times we really even care to see others, much less see the best in them. What does it mean to see the best in others? Well, I think it's to look for the grace of God in them, working in them when they don't seem very impressive right off the bat. A strong faith in God leads to a strong faith in what God can do. With people. See, in our passage today, 
after Saul's radical conversion, he starts to share about Jesus in Damascus. And then here in Acts 9, 26 to 27, it says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them basically all that Paul experienced and did. He vouched for Paul. You see, everyone else probably thought, hey, this persecutor of Christians, Saul, no way he became a Christian. There is no way. This has got to be a trap. This has to be some sort of master plan, infiltrate our ranks, and he can crush us from the inside. That's got to be what's happening. Right? Everybody was afraid but Barnabas. Why? Well, I think my hunch is that the best of encouragers are also those who tend to have much courage themselves. Courage that stems from faith, faith to give people the benefit of the doubt. Faith to take risks. Encouragement goes a long way to see the best in people. And I wonder if Paul would remember this later on. Paul, who would write 1 Corinthians 13, you remember that? It's a famous passage about love, and there's a section that says, love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Right? This word belief, it's to have faith. Love has faith. You see, we tend to think the best about ourselves and the worst about others, but gospel love flips that around. It teaches us to assume the worst of ourselves and the best about others. And so we, like Barnabas, should never be too quick to write anybody off. You know, going on in our story, Acts 11, the apostles, they hear that a lot of people are coming to faith in Antioch, that there's these random, they don't really know who they are. There's these people who are preaching and they're preaching not just to the Jews, but in the Greek language, to foreigners. And the movement of Christ is exploding, and they want to check out what is happening. Is this for real? And they decide, they decide to send someone to assess the situation, and that person is a very trusted person. It's Barnabas. And so Barnabas goes, and he sees what's happening, and he confirms, yeah, this is for real. People are starting to follow Jesus. The Gentiles are following Jesus, and I want to be here. There's new converts. I want to pour into them. I want to invest. I want to disciple and set up the foundations, but there's just so many people I need to help. He needs an assistant, an assistant pastor, a pastoral intern, you might say. So what does he do? Well, he takes the initiative. He takes the initiative. In Acts 11, 25 to 26, Barnabas goes to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You see, Barnabas, he remember, he sees the potential in Saul. And so he takes it upon himself to initiate. He reaches out, he goes to seek him out, and that's what leaders do, isn't it? That's what mentor figures, disciplers, that's what they do. They don't just wait for people to come by, but they go out to seek after others. Right? This is a model that Jesus 
has. When he picks his own disciples, he goes out. And faith in God and what he can do, that's exactly what it does. It leads people to action, to take initiative. And so Saul is basically given this internship opportunity, training on the job for about a year. Him and Barnabas are doing ministry together. The foundations are probably being laid here for Paul's future playbook for church planning. Proclaim the word, gather up the new converts, pour into them, raise up new leaders. I think this is an important point for us because today, I feel like it's often rare to see people take the initiative. I know at times I struggle to do this, where we want to just play it safe. Let's just wait for people to come to us. And unlike 1 Corinthians 13, I think for us, we don't believe all things. We're a little more skeptical and suspicious of all things. And so we, at times, we don't bother to initiate and invest in others. But Jesus calls us all to be the HR department for the church. We're all to be recruiters for disciples. And this, that's why this early message, this early message of Christianity was exploding, even apart from the apostles, right? In Antioch, they don't know who these people are that are sharing about Jesus. And it's because these are just people that have heard and took the initiative upon themselves to talk about it, to invite people into it. As a young adult pastor, uh, one of the hopes that I have rooted in what I've read and experienced myself about the greatest desires, one of the greatest desires of young adults amongst social impact, amongst developing a deep sense of community, a third is to experience mentorship. One of the biggest desires for young adults today is to experience mentorship, to feel invested in to feel like someone's there to help them, to coach them, to give a window into their, their own life, those who've gone before them to say, hey, this is a picture of what that might look like. I want to expose you to that before you get there. And I think this is a huge missing part of discipleship today, that a lot of it is abstract to us, theoretical, because maybe some of us, we haven't seen the Christian life lived out, and we benefit a lot from someone walking alongside us, inviting us into that. And of course, mentoring, it can range from occasional, casual meetups. It could be formal, more structured, right? And I really want to encourage those of you here who are older, who've been walking with Jesus for a while, to take that initiative to reach out to someone else. You know, this week was the opening... um, Opening night of Black Panther 2. Please don't talk to me about it. I didn't watch it yet, so don't spoil it for me. Uh, But I'm reminded of a speech that the late Chadwick Boseman once gave at an award ceremony paying tribute to Denzel Washington. You see, when Chadwick was a student, he auditioned and was accepted into uh, this drama academy. But he couldn't attend it because he couldn't afford it. And to make a long story short, Denzel Washington privately ended up supporting him and a few other students, being their benefactor, and he paid Chadwick Boseman's full tuition. And so Chadwick Boseman says this in his speech, 
An offering from a sage and a king is more than silver and gold. It is a seed of hope, a bud of faith. There is no Black Panther without Denzel Washington. And I think in like manner, you might say there is no Apostle Paul without Barnabas. Could you be that for someone else? A Barnabas figure to help them along, to guide them along, to mentor them. You see, when you see the best in others, I think we'll take an initiative to come alongside them. Our second point, encouragement goes a long way to meet needs of others. To meet the needs of others. Hypocrites are people who know you ought to do something, but you don't do it. Right? If you know you should help meet needs, you believe it and you feel like you should do that, but you don't. Right? It's to contradict what you believe. To be all talk and no walk. And I think nowadays a big, big challenge for the church, a big, big challenge for the reputation of the church is that so often people like our Jesus, but some of you don't look anything like him. We don't really like Christians. And in a time where the church has a poor reputation towards outsiders, I think more than ever, we need people of integrity and character who follow through, who walk it out, or simply put, who are good men and women. Barnabas had that reputation. People trusted him. He earned their trust. And I'm sure a big part of how he did that was the way he lived, the way he went out of his way to meet needs. You see, sometimes the needs are physical and material, and so we need to meet needs through deeds. In Acts chapter 4, verse 36 to 37, this is the first instance uh, Barnabas comes up in the Bible. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You see, we see amazing generosity by Barnabas, probably somewhat well off. He owned land, but he sold it all so that he could meet the needs of the poor and the needy in their midst. You know, in a time where others often use people to get things, Barnabas would use his things to serve people. And it was clear that in his heart, he valued people a whole lot more than money. You see, other times, needs are more or mental, emotional, and we need to meet them through words. In Acts eleven twenty three, Barnabas, when he sees all that was happening, he was glad and he exhorted them or encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Why would they need encouragement right now at this point? It's because there was a lot of opposition, because it was hard. It was hard to be faithful to the Lord. People were persecuted. People were imprisoned. They were stoned, bound up. You see, sometimes meeting the needs of others, it'll also be a mix of these. It'll be through both words and deeds. You know, recently, a, a team member of one of our missionary partners suddenly got sick and, 
ended up in the hospital on life support. And this past week, she passed away. She was 23. While she was sick, there was a message thread that was started to give updates and to share written prayers and encouragement. And after she passed, the team had to rush back to the States. Yesterday, there was a post in this thread uh, by the sister of this team member who passed. And I want to read you what she wrote. I feel like the end of my sister's earthly life isn't the end of God teaching me. Teaching me about things that are important and beautiful to him, like eternity and people. Teaching me not to worry about other stuff, like people-pleasing and legalism. Things like God's love and God's power felt really abstract to me. But this prayer group with people from everywhere, plus logistics like people we don't know providing free housing for our family, has made it tangible and real. How wide God's love is. How deep it goes. God is in control more than the embassy, more than airline managers, more than doctors or life support machines. These things are true to me now. Even though I was really praying for one thing and God did something else, in between being numb and sad and impatient and wondering and guessing and wishing, I keep being reminded He's still working. He's still doing something good. In the island, in me, maybe in you guys too. See, encouragement goes a long way to meet the needs of others, even to those on the other side of the world, even to those that maybe we haven't met in person before. Third, encouragement goes a long way to make way for others. You see, we live in a time of self-advancement, self-promotion. Uh, this past week, I came across an IG bio, Instagram bio that said, I'm all about me and my bread. And I think this sort of captures uh, the ethos of our time, that people are all about, I got to make it, I got to succeed, I got to do whatever it takes. It's all about me and getting there. And it's so easy in our climate to be jealous and envious of others. It's hard to be happy for them. Maybe for some of you, even people you are close to, friends or family, you see what they post and it's hard. There's this sense of bitterness. Man, that should be me. And it's hard to be happy for others. In a climate like this, we need a lot more people who make way for others. See, it's interesting. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you know, his job the Holy Spirit, what he loves to do is this. He loves to highlight another. He loves to highlight Jesus. That's his greatest joy. And so in John 14, 26, it reads, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you remember me and all that I've taught and I've done and I love that this word, it's so interesting, helper, right? In the Greek, this word is paraclete, which is a noun form of parakaleo. Interesting, right? You might say we were sent this great encourager, the great encourager, so that we, filled with the Holy Spirit, can be sons and daughters of encouragement, that we ought to take after the Holy Spirit, to enjoy and love, to highlight others, especially Jesus, 
Now back to Barnabas. When Barnabas was commissioned out to Antioch to see what was happening, right, he was out there assessing the situation. Revival's breaking out. People are coming to faith. And he's like, dang, that should be me. I should have been the one that led all these people to Jesus. No, he doesn't do that, right? He isn't jealous and envious. He isn't trying to build his own brand. No, but he's, he's glad. It says he was glad. And then he brings Paul. And now here's something really interesting to note. As Paul and Barnabas were working together, doing ministry together, you see, most of the time, up until a certain point, Barnabas is always listed before Saul. So we have them going around places as a team, and it will say Barnabas and Saul, because Barnabas seemed to have been the leader. He was running point. Acts 13, verse 7, you see that. Right, he was with the proconsul, a man of intelligence. He summoned Barnabas and Saul. But then check this out. A couple verses later, now Paul and his companions set sail. Right? Another fascinating thing is prior to Acts 13, verse 7, we have Saul's name used, the Jewish name, Saul. And at Acts 13, verse 13, there's this shift where the rest of the book of Acts, he uses his Roman name, Paul. And I think what's happening here is that Paul is getting to this point where Barnabas is like, man, this guy is gifted. I think he can do way better than me. And so we have a shifting of leadership. As they head more into Roman, the Roman, deeper into the Roman Empire, the Gentile mission, he says, hey, Paul, you got this. You take it from here. And Paul takes over as a team leader. You know, on our uh, summer's missions team training, we have this section on team building. And we want to fight against the mentality, because it may have happened before, uh, where people get envious of the impact others are making on the mission trip. Right? Dang, that person, everybody loves them. All the kids are like, man, I want teach me about Jesus. I love Jesus because of you. But no one's saying that about me. What the heck, right? What about me? Why do I feel like I'm not contributing as much? And I love this quote by Thomas Watson. It's always stuck with me since that first training. I hope it sticks with you. It says, a humble man is content to be outshone by others in gifts and esteem so that the crown of Christ may shine the brighter. This is the humble man's model. Let me decrease, let Christ increase. It is his desire that Christ should be exalted. And if this is affected, whoever is the instrument, he rejoices. A humble Christian is content to be laid aside if God has any other tools to work with, which may bring him more glory. I love that. And I think this captures the heart of Barnabas. He wasn't after making a name for himself. He was after making a name for Jesus. And if others would do a better job than him in that, others maybe like Paul, he was glad. Now it's interesting uh, that this desire to make way for others, to even mentor weaker brothers, got Barnabas in trouble one time with Paul. They had some tension. In Acts 15, verse 37 to 39, it says, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them, right? Along with them on their journey, on their missionary trips. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along 
who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. You see, apparently John Mark, he ditched them once, and Paul felt like, this guy is unreliable. We don't want him as our pastoral intern. He's uncommitted. He's a, a quitter. He's not strategic. And Paul probably wrote him off. But not Barnabas. Not the son of encouragement. He gave him the benefit of the doubt, convinced of the grace of God in John Mark's life. Maybe just like he was for Paul in the beginning. And he was unwilling to give up on him. And so, like Shaq and Kobe of the Gentile mission, the, the team went their separate ways. They disbanded. But I love how this plays out. I love how this plays out in his old age. Paul in 2 Timothy 4:11, he said, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. You see, we see this picture of reconciliation, and I have to say that Paul probably felt, man, Barnabas, you were right. The investment you put in Mark paid off. And this is the same Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark. Encouragement goes a long way to make way for others. Now, maybe you feel like, okay, Barnabas is a pretty awesome guy, but I'm not like that. I don't think I could live up to that. And if you think that way, I want to turn your attention to Galatians 2. And I love that the Bible includes sections like these in it. It says, but when Cephas, this is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Paul said, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas, even Barnabas who was on me with this Gentile mission, this Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. You know, I'm glad that these sections are included, these sections of failure, because I know often I fail. And I'm sure often you do as well. It makes it more relatable. It reminds us to not be too quick to put people on pedestals. Because even Barnabas, a dignified, respected leader, he failed. And so I'm sure a big reason Barnabas was such a good encourager was because he knew how desperately he needs encouragement for himself. He knows the importance of it because he needed it. And I'm sure what he needed most was that encouragement that came from the message that him and Paul were all about. And that message is this. In 1 John 2, 1 and 2, great summary of it. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, paraclete, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, I'm sure Barnabas thought something like this, that despite my sin and my failure, Jesus saw the best in me. Not through eyes of condemnation, but eyes of compassion. 
And he took the initiative to vouch for me. Jesus meets all my needs, including my deepest need to be made right with God. And in such a display of generosity, he would give everything, even his life, to pay off the debt of my sins. Jesus made way for me. In humility and in humiliation, he who was the greatest of all became the least of all. He stooped down all the way down to meet me at rock bottom so that he could lift me up with him to the highest heights of heaven. He made way for me to be a part of his family. Today, as you come across difficult moments, heartbreaking discouragements in your own life, I hope and I pray you will look to Jesus to find all the encouragements you need in the better son of encouragement, in the son of God who went such a long way for you and me. And I hope that in return, we ourselves would go such a long way for others to see the best in them, to meet their needs, to make way for them until this gospel message of hope and encouragement reaches the ends of the earth. And my prayer and my hope for us as a church is that as we do that, it'd be undeniably clear to all those who see us that at our church, it's filled with people who are good men and women, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that in the midst of a broken world, in the midst of our own brokenness and sins, Lord, you would see the best in us to not treat us with what we deserved, but you would give up yourself. Lord, I pray for my weary brothers and sisters here today who need encouragement, would they find so much of it in you? And as they do, would you empower them? Would you empower us all to take the initiative to be those voices, those sources of encouragement for others, just as Barnabas was to so many? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.